Welcome to the world of fiction, where we're lying, but that's okay. One prepared host, two neurodivergent nerds, two authors dig deeper into the lies that expose truths. If you're a fan of fiction with a curious mind, tune in each week for discussions on speculative worlds, fandom, the industry, and creating. Let's talk about genre. I'm your prepared host, J.S. Garrity. And I'm the host is winging it, Ludlow Adams. For our new listeners out there, every week, I choose and prepare a topic because I'm a researcher and a planner. And I find out the topic half an hour before because I'm an improviser and good on my feet. Let's get into it. So genre is an interesting topic for a writer. Because ultimately, genre is there for the reader's benefit. Yeah. It's a marketing thing. Yep. It tells the readers what to expect. Like if you're picking up a romance, you're going to expect the happily ever after ending. Um, and if a, there isn't a happily ever ever after ending, most romance readers aren't going to be happy about that. Yeah. So you wouldn't categorize it as a romance. Um. But it's, it's a complicated thing because most writers don't go into a project thinking, I am writing specifically for this genre. Yeah. Um, romance being kind of a an outlier there. Um, yeah, we're just going to talk a little bit about genre today from the perspective of um, our perspectives as writers. Yeah. You know, it, um, before we get started on, on years you know, our experience, um, my writer friend that I follow, Milton Davis, once again, had a completely relevant comment about this the other day. He pointed out that, um, you know, as writers, we don't want to be stuck with genre. Like, we don't want to deal with it. We want to be able to write whatever story we want, even if it, like, blends genres or breaks genre uh, tropes and, and norms and things. But that's how readers find our books so that's how um bookstores shelve them mm-hmm. and you know the bookstores are every bit as um as invested in selling books as we are so obviously they're going to do what it takes so i kind of look at genre as a little bit of a double-edged sword you know it's it, it mm-hmm. restricts what we feel like we can do sometimes or even more so maybe even our editors what they want us to do um and then from there you know it it helps people find our work and shelve our work and organize it with others so yeah it's like a lot of things it's a little bit of a pain yep (laughs) it's one of those things that um it's a tool right so any tool can be used um to either really limit you or to um to benefit you yeah and authors need to learn and editors publishers everyone in the process needs to learn how to use genre in the way that will uh, maximize their audience but at the same time not put you into a box yeah that that you feel is limiting your creativity yeah yeah i think anything that's a tool or a model for something is, is going to have limitations, but it's there to kind of help out. Um, mm-hmm. And so we 
can use them, but we have to understand that it's not the entire story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, you know, when readers are looking for a particular kind of book, a lot of times they'll search using a trope or a convention that comes up in that genre. So, like, you're looking for, you know, cozy mystery. Um, You might add in uh, another search term for cozy mystery, like um, detective or crime or... uh, housewife crime thriller like little things like that that are tropes that come up in that genre um, and sort of specify what that reader's preference is what kind of cozy mysteries they they like to reach for and um so it, it is a helpful tool yeah and key terms become really important when you're uh putting your book up on amazon or or another retailer yeah for that reason. You know, um, and I don't know that this is true. It just kind of feels like it. So, you know, anecdotal, take it with a grain of salt or ignore me. It feels like genre blends are becoming more and more um, acceptable and maybe even the norm. Mm-hmm. Now, I think this has been going on for, you know, 10, 10 12, 14 years or whatever. But yeah, it, it feels like people are are more and more comfortable with throwing out the idea of really being restricted to one genre and doing a bunch of Mm -hmm. genre blends and then just labeling it one genre and just saying, yeah, this is epic fantasy. Whereas I might describe that book by saying it's epic military fantasy or epic military Mm -hmm. dark fantasy or something like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I, I've seen that too, for sure. And it, it could just be that there's books from the past that aren't really popular anymore. So we don't hear about them, but yeah, um, it does seem like, especially with the popularity of YA, which is one of the most popular genres of our, you know, modern times, um, YA blends with lots of other genres. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of what it's known to do. Yeah. Is this sort of overarching label you can stick on something that yeah. caters to a very specific audience, but then there's subgenres. Yeah. I think in my experience, they're getting a little bit better about that. They're they're better about saying it's young adult horror or young adult mm-hmm. fantasy or, you know, young adult romance even or, or something yeah. along those lines. Um, you know, and, and so I really like that. I really, really like that. And I love the fact that YA is just so popular, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of adults are reading it now, too. Man, hopefully that means we're we've got a, a generation of readers coming up, but we'll see. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Um. Of course, you know, with everything, there's double-edged sword, so it is helpful. But I think this very specific categories that we get into can also limit readers, and readers might not branch out into other yeah. things that they might like because they find one book they love. And then they keep looking for more that are just like it yeah. without branching out. Yeah. Um, and that's just something that, you know, you got to make your own personal goals for what matters to you. And if you want to to branch out or, or not. Yeah. But when you talk about somebody, you know, somebody who's comfortable with something like, hey, I know this, I know 
what high fantasy is like, or I know what low fantasy is like. And, and that mm-hmm. makes me comfortable, much like, you know, the, the drive to read romance novels. I mean, romance readers are probably the most voracious readers out there. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll read three novels a week easy sometimes, um, if not more. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they, they, like you said, you know, they just kind of want the, the, the specific tropes where eventually mm-hmm. there's the happy ending, whether it's over a series or not, et cetera, or multiple happy endings if it's a series. Cause some of the, some of the genre tropes for, for romance are really interesting. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, when, when we talk about using genre tropes and other genres, I think that's a, a really good one to talk about is how we can, yeah. we can apply so many fantasy, excuse me, I'm sorry, so many romance tropes into other things, including our fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Romance, uh, comes up in, almost in in every other genre yeah um and even if you're writing a fantasy or a horror um or sci-fi when you're writing a romance it's still smart to use some of those romance conventions and tropes because people respond to them yeah and and there is the risk of going cliche which is always a danger when you're trying to follow um conventions genre yeah. conventions but um that's just a matter of how how good of a writer you are yeah i think i've mentioned it here um on this podcast before but i've read um nora roberts uh horror romance trilogy um mm-hmm. the sevens and i was just floored by it i was just like this mm-hmm. is amazing now i've read romance in the past like kind of devoured them like, okay, what's going on with this? What, why is this? And, you know, much like a cozy mystery or something, romance can be very comfortable because of that. Mm-hmm. We know there's going to be a happy ending at some point sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So um, it was kind of neat. I, I actually love the, the Nora Roberts um, trilogy, but, you know, romance in general is kind of neat. And those writers make a good living sometimes. And that's, Kind of the dream for all of us. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I I think uh, romance can be really lucrative, like you said, because of the um, the, uh, dedication of the readers, right? Um, And romance is a really interesting uh, genre uh, to talk about when discussing conventions and tropes because i think of all the genres it tends to get the most specific mm-hmm. um and i feel like has probably the most subgenres yeah as well well and, it, and it's interesting you know when we talk about adding in like a romance subplot in another book or something you know brandon sanderson was talking about this and he was like you should give everybody three different goals every character should have at least three goals um and the main three goals should be, I'm probably going to butcher at least one of these, but the, um, the first one is like, you know, what their, their, uh, professional goal is like, what do they want to do with their life to make money kind of thing. And then the other one is like their mm-hmm. personal goal. 
But then the third one is like, what is their romantic goal? Like, what are they trying to do? Are they trying to build a better relationship with their spouse? Are they trying to woo somebody, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And it was like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because I mean, real people usually have goals in all three of those areas. Yeah. Generally. (laughs) Yeah. So that's a good way to make sure you have a a 3D, well-rounded character. Yeah. Um, yeah, romance is definitely one as a writer that you want to to understand. Yes. And reading romances, even if it's not your thing, can really help you be able to write a romance subplot. Yeah. In in whatever genre you yeah. prefer to write in. Yeah. So if there's a reader out there who's like, oh, I'm kind of struggling with this, but I really don't want to read romance, just kind of suck it up for a couple of books. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe check out the Nora Roberts one that I mentioned, because that's got a really neat horror subplot or horror plot. I mean, and then the romance stuff is, are very, very prevalent subplots. I mean, almost to the mm-hmm. point where they're tied. Um, mm-hmm. But one yeah, of the, and okay. You can probably find something that you'll at yeah. least enjoy a little bit yeah. because it's such a vast genre. Oh yeah. So let's talk about something slightly controversial. Oh, um, we never do that on little. this podcast. <laughs> um, literary fiction versus genre fiction. Yeah. People have a lot of opinions. Yeah. I don't know if it's controversial so much as nobody can agree. Yeah. Right? Um, there's people who say genre fiction is plot driven and literary fiction is character driven. There's other people who say literary fiction is more serious or more scholarly, which I just, I think it's probably pretty easy for you guys to tell that uh, Ludlow and I think that one's kind of BS. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I, genre fiction can be completely serious. I mean, we've all read genre fiction that has been life changing and moved us in powerful ways yeah um literary fiction is not superior no it's not and it's really funny like some of the stuff that we consider to be like really highbrow stuff now shakespeare dickens Mm -hmm. they were pop like at the time yeah were like literally just you know Mm -hmm. shakespearean plays are super super raunchy if you understand the language and absolutely you know they were there to to entertain the masses and you know dickens mm-hmm. was getting paid was it not by the line or the word but something else uh maybe by the page or something and so it was yeah it was a word count or something was it okay like that, i think yeah. so so he was like i'm gonna stretch this out as much as i can so he throws yeah. in all of this language and now you know a hundred and something years later we're like well that's highbrow literature that's how it should mm-hmm. be done yeah. yeah, it's not really. Um, the the character driven and the plot driven. Um, I have a bone to pick with that one too because, um, while that does make sense to an extent, mm-hmm. a really good book is going to have both. Yes, your a really good genre fiction will still be character driven even yeah. though it has a strong plot. Yeah. Um, where I do see it making sense is when you have. A, a fiction 
where there isn't really much of a plot there. Like, if you're just retelling what happens, it's like, that sounds completely boring. But it's it's the internal journeys of the characters that make it interesting. Yeah. But you could also call that contemporary fiction or upmarket or women's fiction. So there's other yeah. categories those can fall into. Yeah. My issue with this is, um, you know, when I write modern stuff, like short stories and contemporary fiction, they are veteran issues stories. Mm-hmm. And along the way, I realized, wait a minute, I can literally just plug this right into my genre fiction, the the fantasy that I'm writing, um, or even steampunk or science fiction. I mean, you can do any of those. Mm-hmm. And if you look f- around for television, like the MCU uh, television series, The Punisher with John Bernthal is all about veterans issues, both seasons are dealing with that jessica jones at least the first season is dealing with ptsd mm-hmm. you cannot tell me that the only way you can explore those is through some kind of like stick up the butt literary literary yeah. fiction and exactly. not saying that all literary fiction has you know or literary fiction authors have a stick up their butt or anything it's just I think it's more about the critics. The ones who think they're superior. Yeah. (laughs) Do. Yeah. Um, Well, yeah, there's that. But like I said, a lot of times I think this this comes more from critics than anything else. Yeah, Um, absolutely. And what's what's interesting is there there's a saying from painters from visual arts like when critics get together, they talk about form and balance and color theory, and when painters get together, they talk about where to buy cheap turpentine. (laughs) So, you know, like there's vastly different concerns between a a literary critic and writers and editors. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And with the audience. The audience doesn't always agree with the critics. No, no. You know, which we can see with books that are like objectively not the best writing, but completely hit it off and become... Uh, a massive success among readers. Yeah. yeah, there's there's often a difference though between you know a um, something that's really really well written or writing style and compelling. Like yeah. compelling is so very different, and that's yeah, that's really where what it comes down to. Is it something that somebody is going to finish and then be like, I have to read this mm-hmm. again? But I also have to give a copy of it to my friend and make them read it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if you're engrossed enough in the in the story, and if you're in the mind of the characters, then you can forgive some uh, writing issues. Yeah, um, because it's easier to ignore. Yeah, obviously that's up to a point. Uh, there is a point where writing issues can become um, distracting, yeah. which is why we have editors. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, as far as in the consumption to the audience, I think to an audience, a compelling story is more important than good writing. Yeah. Or the idea that somebody using, like, plain language is somehow not as smart or something. It just, you know, that's one of the other things that we hear. Well, they don't use this really upbeat or uh, really intelligent dialogue or, or things like that. And it's like, yeah, that's because we're communicating with people. Mm-hmm. You know, um, 
Now, yeah. admittedly, contemporary authors are also trying to communicate with people. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's pretty funny. Um, yeah. And then you turn something in, and they're like, "Well, you break all of these grammar rules. Well, too bad. Publish okay. it." <laughs> You know? As long as it gets the message yeah. across, that's yeah. the important thing. And, and grammar is again one of those tools that um, you can use to your advantage, or yeah. could be can be limiting. And um, as someone who's edited work before, um, I usually tend to err on the side of breaking a few grammar rules. Yeah in order to make the sentence sound nicest and convey the meaning that the author is trying to convey. I absolutely think that the English language is at its most beautiful when it's being abused to the point of breaking. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I think I got this from um, an ex-girlfriend who, um, you know, had her degree in English literature and was very well-educated, like grew up coming through Berkeley private schools and stuff and mm. was, mm-hmm. you know, uh, was super disturbingly well-educated and a little intimidating. Disturbingly. <laughs> yeah. A little intimidating in how smart and educated she is. And she uh. was like, no, you know, break it. If it's going to make yeah. it a more beautiful sentence, that's what's important. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what poetry does all day long. Yeah. Yeah. Poetry is not grammatically. Grammar just goes out the window. Yeah. And, and you know, there's an argument to be made that every single prose writer out there should spend some time learning poetry. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe not dedicating, you know, years and years to it or something. You need to be familiar with it because they're going to give you some great ideas on how to break stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like if you're a musician learning jazz could very well um better your skills in like yeah. all areas of music yeah. can make you a better musician in general yeah um, well and sometimes learning something entirely different like maybe even maybe you should learn songwriting or maybe mm-hmm. you should learn something else entirely different like billy joel's old piano instructor got him uh boxing to make his hands faster Mm -hmm. so it's the wax on wax off right (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah yeah and i think listening to music is something that authors can do yeah um to help them understand story because a song tells a story yeah and not just the the lyrics but the music too yeah well and that's one of the other things is like you know maybe listen to stuff without any kind of any kind of vocals at all because you're going to get an idea of rhythm you're going to get an idea mm-hmm. of pacing just like that yeah. you know so yeah the building to a climax and yeah. and all of that yeah. can be studied through music yeah um so my take on literary fiction is that literary is just a style Yes. It's it's using beautiful language to convey the same exact things that genre fiction conveys. Yeah. It just means that there's a little bit extra focus on the language. And it doesn't make it better or superior. It's just a matter of, of style and preference. Yeah. Um, I enjoy when I'm reading, finding just a beautiful phrase or sentence. Sure. Um, 
and I, and I savor those moments, yeah. right? That's probably because I, you know, grew up reading Shakespeare and sonnets. Um, and, and so I enjoy being able to do that in writing as well. And you wouldn't, some people would read my work and be like, this isn't literary. This is, does not count as literary, which is why I label it as upmarket. Um, and I'll, if I get a really specific, I'll say it's a literary style mm -hmm. in the sense that I'm trying to convey it is character driven. Um, but uh, more specifically that there is some focus on, on the language sure. that's being used. Yeah. It always cracks me up when people start gatekeeping. Now, admittedly, yeah. I think everybody does it to some extent. And sometimes we're in the middle of something and we're like, oh, wait, I'm the one doing it this time. Let me, mm -hmm. let me back off. Absolutely. Yeah. Gatekeeping is, I think, really normal human behavior. Yeah. Um, where it becomes an issue is when we start littling or putting other people down. Yeah. Um, because there's no point in that. I mean, obviously we have to have gatekeepers at some point in the process. Um, people who decide where your book is going to be stocked on the shelf and um, if it, your book is going to be marketable or sellable. Yeah. Well, there's a difference between, uh, you know, trying to, to get the best, most accurate information out to the readers and, you know, purposefully putting down someone else's work. Yeah. Yeah. Now let's talk about like the genres that you're using in your new work, the one that you're working on for thesis actually. Cause I'm really curious yeah. about this cause I read a little bit and I'm kind of curious yeah. how you're defining this. It's, it's an interesting one to define for sure. Yeah. Um, we mentioned genre blends, and this is definitely a blend, um, quite the blend, actually. Um, and my inspiration for this is Ursula K. Le Guin, because she was a master of, of genre blending. She wrote, you know, sci-fi, fantasy, kind of swirled them together, and she wrote in a very literary style as well. Um, now, I'm not, I'm not really doing a literary uh, style with this one, because it's my first time writing fantasy and I want to make sure I really focus on um, getting that story compelling and so I'm not focusing on the language as mm -hmm. much with this one um, which you know is it I feel like works for the audience I'm going for um, as well yeah but it's a it's an urban faith fantasy which is a genre that's um, a subgenre that's fairly popular um, lately. Um, but usually the urban faith fantasies tend to lean towards like romance mm -hmm. um, and mine is not a romance by any stretch of the imagination. There is some romance in it, um, but as a subplot in the same way that a lot of fantasies use romance mm -hmm. as a subplot. Um, there's also a dash of science fiction. Mm -hmm. Science fiction kind of explains the magic system. So uh, you know, a little bit science fantasy. Um, but then it also, uh, at some parts, takes place in fairy. And so there's a little bit of, of high fantasy sprinkled in there as well. Um, and, and it's not an urban fantasy that's, that's dark and grungy, like mm -hmm. a lot of urban fantasies are. It has the feel of a, of a fairy fantasy that's more whimsical. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and, and kind of upbeat, lighthearted. Um, so yeah, it's a very niche thing. But how would you, like, how would you, like, what kind of genre blend would you refer to that as? Are you, are you just calling it an urban fae fantasy? Yeah, that's gotcha. what I'm using is urban fae fantasy. Gotcha. Because I think that fans of, of authors like Melissa Marr could get into to what I'm doing. Um, She's one of my professors. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I love her. Yeah. Yeah, yeah she's great. For those of you who don't know, Melissa Marr teaches some uh, classes at SNHU. She doesn't yeah. do a lot of them because she's so busy, but she does teach some. And yeah, yeah she's fantastic i think it's so cool that our program has someone like like yeah. her yeah yeah it was good actually um melissa is one of the reasons that i trunked my original thesis idea and as much mm-hmm. as i didn't like it at first it was like oh this actually makes a lot of sense because you know writing an ace aro character as a hetero white guy well, as a hetero guy in general i mean a cishet guy mm-hmm. in general that's that's a hard sell until you have a little bit of credibility with the uh, with the community, um, mm-hmm. you know, and it's really credibility that makes the world go round. So, you know, once I have that reputation for for doing a decent job with characters and the like, uh, that's that's something mm-hmm. to, to kind of avoid for a bit. Yeah, you definitely want to make sure that you're you know what you're doing with those yeah. things. Um, since I'm, I'm part of the LGBTQ community, I um, I'm right away out of the gate. I'm writing queer characters. Mm-hmm. Um, so queer characters show up in um, The Weight of Gold. Um, one of my main protagonists is bisexual and mm-hmm. I'm bisexual. So that made sense for me to, to one of my first queer character that I write to be sure. bisexual. Um, and then... Uh, there's there's a lot of queerness in my thesis project. I have a non-binary character who is asexual mm-hmm. um, as one of my main protagonists. And then my other main protagonist is is lesbian. Mm-hmm. And fairies in general in my world are, you know, LGBTQ is the norm for them. Mm-hmm. Most of them are part of that community as humans would define, you know, that community. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, gender is not inherently non or not binary and never has been considered binary mm-hmm. um, for, for my fae and my fae world that I'm building. So, um, yeah, queerness is another uh, little subgenre mm-hmm. that you can add into things that, um, people find interesting but yeah and I'm, I'm actually you know as much as i didn't like hearing it and uh having to be able to sit down and outline a new novel in like an hour and a half with a friend of mine <laughs> um yeah that was that was kind of hard but i think i even there even then as soon as she mentioned it i was like oh she's right like i just don't have that credibility maybe down the road hopefully down the road i will you know, and I'll be able to, to get this. Yeah. Cause I think I have be no a really doubt. Good story. I have no doubt that, that you'll, you'll get there. And yeah. um, part of it too, will be, you know, reading other queer work. Yeah. Um, for sure. Yeah. And finding the time to read other work for fun. 
yeah. even research. I mean, you know. I know. In, in writing excuses at one point, Brandon Sanderson was like, yeah, you know, when you do an MFA program, you're reading for school. You know, and, and, and for the first few years after the program, you're just still reading for research and stuff. And mm-hmm. you're really not reading for fun until a few years later. And a yeah. lot of people have backed him up on that one. A lot of people have said yeah. that I've talked with have been like, yeah, that's absolutely true. And yeah. so, yeah, I'm at that stage where I'm like, if it's not a popcorn book or something to do for research, um, you know, or like a gaming book or something, mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. reading it. I just can't. Yeah. I can only lis- listen. Like, yeah. If I'm going to read a physical novel right now, while in the MFA, it takes me forever yeah. to read it. Yeah. Um, which is fine, but <laughs> listening is where I, I, yeah. I actually get some pleasure reading done. Is, yeah. Is audiobooks. Yeah. Even my audiobooks, like going through Audible or something now, I'm finding that it's like, it's got to be young adult. Because I'm doing, Mm -hmm. even though I'm listening to something, I'm running around doing chores or something like that. And I get really wrapped up in things. And all of a sudden I'm like, I missed the last 10 minutes. And this is a really, really dense book. I'm hosed. Let me go Uh back and listen to this chapter from the beginning again. And that is not productive at all. Which is a shame because there's amazing books out there that I really want to dig into. Like Mm -hmm. I really, really want to get into some of this stuff that's, that's around. Well, the end is in sight. We only have, uh, let's see, 20 more weeks yeah. of the MFA. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. I'm a little nauseous now. <laughs> oh, no. <sighs> breathe. Just breathe, Ludlow. It's okay. It's going to be okay. All right. Well, I've talked a little bit about what, I'm, what I've been doing with genre with my mm-hmm. current projects. Um, so let's hear from Ludlow. Let's yeah. See. What are you working on? What genres are are you currently working with yeah. and maybe ones you want to work with in the future? Yeah. So probably one of my favorite genres is military science fiction. Um, and I really have enjoyed some military fantasies. Um, and so I really decided and my experience with military fantasy is one, it's harder to find than military science fiction. Um, mm-hmm. now when I talk, when I say military fantasy or military science fiction, I mean the gritty stuff that actually feels real. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people who write stuff in their epic fantasy or high fantasy or fantasy in general that has military subplots and the like, but they're not like you read it and it's like, that's not how any of that works. And so military science fiction is ten, tends to be really grounded in reality so that's what I'm bringing to a military fantasy. So I'm doing a dark military fantasy, um, zombie survival fiction. <laughs> so that's awesome. Yeah. The thesis specifically is probably going to be about a quarter of the book. And it's, um, it is low fantasy rangers versus zombies. So it's Aragorn mm-hmm. and his ilk from, from Arnor, uh, so the the last of the Dunedain, the the thirty something warriors that are still alive against zombies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so a lot of it. That. I'm sorry. I love that. Yeah, yeah. It's been fun to write. Actually, it's been really interesting, and 
you know, finding things. And I want to do this as a series because a lot of times military science fiction, and I want to bring this directly over, deals with the progression of the war. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's really awful at first and we're doing the best we can, but eventually we start learning and we start getting the resources necessary. We start training the people necessary and we're able to start progressing. And Mm -hmm. I want to do a lot of those things in this. Um, Marco Cluse with his Frontline series is really the inspiration for a lot of this. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm a zombie survival fiction nut. So, mm-hmm. um, although some of it's got really bad. Yeah. It's, it's one of those, uh, trends that a lot yeah. of people jumped on. Um, yeah. and that's, that's one thing I think is good to note as, as writers, it's never a good idea to jump on a genre trend because they change so quickly. And yeah. by the time your book comes out, yeah. it, the, the trend might be dead. Yeah. Or, you know, it's it's that limiting yourself. It's it's putting yourself into a box and trying yeah. to fit what you're doing in with what um, you think is going to be popular. Yeah. And that doesn't always produce yeah. the best work. Yeah. Um, so many authors, you know, the Neil Gaiman's and Stephen King's and, and Brandon's and the, of the world are like, no, write what you want to read mm-hmm. and you'll find an audience. And that was actually something Melissa Marr said to me. She was like, look, you're going to have fans that are going to be like, whatever Ludlow publishes, I'm going to pick up and read. Yeah. And it's not going to matter. And then hopefully mm-hmm. they bring a bunch of other people along with them, at least for yeah. certain series or something. Yeah. Write what you love. Yeah. Um, and then you'll find the the labels yeah. that you need. To put yeah. On it. Yeah. This used to be write what you're familiar with. And so, there is still some of that for, I think, military science fiction, military fantasy. Most of those mm-hmm. authors are veterans that, that I've seen. Yeah. Um, so Marco Kluse is actually a German soldier uh, before he moved to the United States. Um, Elizabeth Moon, who wrote the Paxinari and Dorfus Daughter, which is kind of like a D&D high fantasy with a very strong military fantasy subplot. She was a Marine captain before um, before she resigned her commission and became a writer. You know, so there's a lot of those kinds of things as well. Um, yeah. There's a guy in my thesis class, actually. No, not my thesis class. I've had a couple classes with him, and he's a military – he's an Army officer, an intelligence officer or something. And mm-hmm. so what he wants to write is basically cosmic mili- – military cosmic horror, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like how would the military deal with cosmic horror threats? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it could be a lot of fun. I think. um, Yeah. Yeah. I think he's got some growth, much like the rest of us. He's got some growth in his writing style first to to get through. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, He's he, I think it's going to be fantastic when he gets there. Uh Uh-huh. Absolutely. Um, I think that uh, brings up a good point. um, Writing what you're familiar with, because that's a very common phrase that's passed around. Yeah. Um, But if you, aren't familiar with it yet then get familiar yeah. with it yeah um, you're not limited to your own life experiences yeah. but um you do need to gain some experience in an area before you attempt yeah to write it and that could be interviewing people it could be reading other people's work yeah um whatever that might look like yeah you know start with wikipedia and youtube and move on from there Like everybody's going to tell, oh, don't do that. No, they're great beginning resources, especially when they have like a bibliography or something on Wikipedia. 
and then they you get some decent ideas on YouTube of things like see whatever yeah. it is that you're talking about doing like look at it mm-hmm. um I've been watching a lot of Forged and Fire lately for some reason well I love I'm, that <laughs> yeah I love it's so I, good I, I did a tiny bit of smithing about 20 years ago and so it's like oh if I had continued I could be making some of these things no uh-huh. I would not have been able to make some of these things <laughs> any of these things <laughs> um but it's, it's like nice oh, to imagine though. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh wait, there's a there's a ready built subplot right there. Mm-hmm. Um and so, you know, like look around at the things that you're interested in. Even if it's not even if you don't think it's gonna directly relate to a book or a short story that you want to write, it very well might inform part of it and it's gonna mm-hmm. make it that much richer. Yeah. Never stop learning. Yeah. Yeah. Never stop trying new things because yeah. if if you're a writer, yeah. it's only going to make you a better writer. Yeah. And you, and, yeah, you never know when you might use it. Yeah. And like JS has said, you know, um, you know, write about the things you're interested in or excited about mm-hmm. because then you'll do the research. You'll be like, you'll happily do the research because it doesn't feel like research. It's just like you're learning about something you're really excited about. Yeah. So. can actually become a problem for me when I should be writing and adding to my word count, but I'm down a research rabbit hole. Yes. Yes. But this is one of the reasons you and I have talked about the, uh, the standalone word processors that we use and why yeah. those have been so helpful. Yeah. Um, yeah. And a lot of times I'll be like, Oh, how does that work? And I'll just put in brackets and be like, mm-hmm. cool thing happens by doing this close the bracket and move on. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I do that too. Yeah. Actually, I accidentally left one in one of my thesis submissions last term. Um, so I don't have the, a name for the uh, physics experiment, uh-huh. quantum entanglement experiment that my uh-huh. character's doing. And so I just wrote in bracket, brackets and all caps experiment. And my professor was like, is this like some formatting thing you're doing? Like, I don't think it works. <laughs> is this really what the experiment is called? I So that's no. the funny thing, um, how different professors can be sometimes. So I yeah. have left things like that in as well. And my professor's been like, okay. Yeah, your professor probably knew yeah. what you were doing with yeah. the brackets. I don't think mine got, because it was the only one that I'd left. Oh, yeah. It no, just I've, that one. <laughs> I've left a bunch. And I typically do like really you know, slightly more detailed notes than experiment. Not that that's mm-hmm. a bad, terrible thing. Cause you knew exactly what the, you know, exactly what that means. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's a, it's a good way to keep the flow. Moving. Yeah. So yeah. I really, I really tried to have like, okay, this is research time yeah. and this is writing time yeah. and try not to, to mix the yeah. two. Yeah. We're, we're showing everybody the man behind the curtain when it comes to this part of writing. <laughs> yeah. Little by little, everybody are going to be like, writing is not all that exciting. <laughs> no, <it's not. laughs> it is not at all. <laughs> it is hard work. There are it times is. when you're inspired and I've, I've talked to other um, people who are trying to be authors Yeah, and, and saying things like, you know, I, I start a bunch of projects that I'm excited about and then I get stuck. Yeah. And I can't get inspired and that's the, yeah, that's that's because the hard work part of this career. Yeah, That's because excitement and inspiration is not going to carry you further than 
your outline, some general notes, and maybe the first few paragraphs. Yeah. Self-discipline and habit. In the end. Yeah. Yeah, it's all about self-discipline and habit, unfortunately. Mm. Now, when you're writing, this is outside of genre, but I'm really curious. Do you, like, write from the beginning to the end? Um, I have been with thesis because that's kind of how they've um, kind of led you Mm -hmm. to to doing it. You know, it's sort of structured in a way that lends to that. Yeah. Um, But generally, I don't. Generally, I I skip around. Yeah. So I'm kind of doing the J. Michael Straczynski thing. So the guy who did Babylon 5 and has written a lot of other things. He's like, when I start, I know the beginning and I know the end. And I figure out the middle as I go. And that's what yeah. I've done with this. And I'm like, oh, this works so much better. At some point, we should probably do like a uh, an episode on, on this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So um, Writing process. Yeah, yeah. We actually have pretty similar writing processes. Yeah. So that might be one where we, we may want to put it, pull in a, a guest yeah. with a different process from ours. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's... It's hard work. Yeah. Yeah. Discipline, self-discipline and, and habit are what what gets you through. And it's not always fun. No. No, sometimes it's awful. <laughs> well, sometimes it's like pulling teeth. Yeah. yeah. And you feel terrible about what you've produced. Yeah. Absolutely horrible about it. Yeah. Sometimes you look at things and you're like, what in the world was I doing? <laughs> or you think, okay... This is my career crumbling down around me in shambles. <laughs> <laughs> That's the beauty of revision. Yeah. Maybe we'll do a revision episode sometime too. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just whole... just give it a couple of weeks so I forget. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That is the time we have for today. We've been your hosts, Ludlow Adams. And Jay Scary. Thanks for tuning in. Join us next week for a new topic about the world of fiction. This has been We're Lying, But That's Okay. Big thanks to our listeners for your support. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review. Thank you to our one-man production and tech support team, Max Garrity, for making this podcast possible.